the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. So let's take a look at John chapter 12, starting at verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The Gospel of John is a gospel that has 21 chapters in it. The first one is is mostly an introduction, so there are 20 chapters left of that. Chapters 12 through 20 all deal with this final week of Christ's life. Almost 50% of the book deals with one week in Jesus' life. The other 50% deals with his earthly ministry, the other three years of Christ's life. That's John telling us by what he is investing time in. That's John telling us that this is something that is important It's something that we can't quickly pass over. It's something that we need to take note of. This is the week of our Savior's suffering and death. This is a week that we need to pay attention to. And when we read the Gospels, when we read the Gospels, we pick that truth up. Pay attention to this. It takes up such a large percentage of the Gospels, and therefore it should be something that we regularly think about and spend time considering it. That is why it is so good for us year after year after year to remember this week of our Savior's suffering and death. That's why it's wonderful that we have a choir cantata to remember Calvary that's going to be taking place this evening. It's why we regularly have a Good Friday service. It's why we celebrate Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday every year, year after year after year. And that is why it is good for pastors to shoulder the burden of preaching the same thing year after year after year. And I got to tell you, it's a challenge. This is the fifth time I've preached a Palm Sunday text, which means that I have run out of gospel accounts of the triumphal entry. It means that some of the themes that you start talking about begin to repeat themselves, but that's good. It's important for us to hear these things again and again and again, because this final week of Christ's life, according to the Gospels, 
is of such incredible importance. And so let's heed the wisdom of the gospel writers this week, and let's remember this final week of Christ's life. And today, as we remember the triumphal entry into Jerusalem in the city of, uh, the city of Jerusalem, the city of David, we're going to answer two questions as we take a look at the text this morning. Here's the first question. What is Jesus doing? And here's the second question. How do the people respond? Two questions. What is Jesus doing? How do people respond? <clears throat> so here's the first thing. What is Jesus doing? Let me be very simple about this. Jesus is entering Jerusalem as a king. Jesus is declaring that he is a king, the king. Jesus is doing something very simple, very plainly obvious. Jesus is entering Jerusalem as a king. Let me read for us a portion of the text that's in front of us this morning. And and if you want, you can turn there again with me. I'll be jumping around in John chapter 12. And so if you want to have your Bibles open, that may help as we take a look at what's in front of us this morning. We're told that the next day the large crowd had come to the feast and heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The text makes it very clear. Jesus is revealing himself to be a king. John, the gospel writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, understands what's happening, and so he quotes Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And if you'd like, you can turn with me to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. We're going to take a look at verses 9 and 10. You can find it on page 948. Zechariah, a prophet of the Most High God, foretold that this event would take place. And here's Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see what Zechariah is saying? Zechariah, many, many, many generations before Christ came, said, you're going to be able to identify the coming king, the one who will rule across the entire globe, when you see him coming into Jerusalem riding on the colt of the foal of a donkey. And not only will this one be the king, In the line of of David, not only will he be a king, he is the king that rules across the entire world. I love the way that it's described. He will rule from the river to the ends of the earth, right? It gives a very specific geographical location. He'll rule from this place to everywhere. So you can start at the river and then look everywhere else. That will be the dominion of the one who is coming. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and by riding on a donkey and by fulfilling this prophecy, he is making an astonishing claim. I am the king. I am the one who will be the ruler of the ends of the earth. Now this is a claim, if we are honest, that might rub us the wrong way. 
Most people are fine with Jesus as just a teacher. Most people are fine with Jesus who doesn't offend. With a Jesus who comes and says wise things, good things, important things. A lot of people are even okay with Jesus as Savior. Someone who will save us from our sins. Someone who will make us right. But it can be very troubling for us to realize that Jesus is the King. Because when we recognize that he's the king, we have to admit and affirm that he's the one who's in charge. If he's the king, then he's the one who's sovereign. Then he's the one who gets to make the rules. Then he's the one who is able to dictate the way that we are supposed to live, that we are called to live. If Jesus is the king, then he is the one that we must follow and worship and listen to and obey. If Jesus Christ is the king that he is claiming to be here in John chapter 12, it means that he is the one who is able to set the course and the direction of our lives, not ourselves. And in and of ourselves, in our fallen nature, this bothers us. I want to be the captain of my own fate. I want to be the ruler of my own soul. But here, Jesus Christ, in humility nonetheless rides into our life and makes an audacious claim. I am the king. I am the one who will rule from shore to shore. Every part of the earth and sea are mine. Follow me. If Jesus is in fact this king that's described in Zechariah chapter 9, then he must be the Lord of your life. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. And you see, the people recognize that he's a king, and John records that for us as well. The people shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they clarify what it is that they mean, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel is what the people shout as they are waving palm branches. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. In saying that, in lifting up those palm branches and spreading them on the road before him and taking off their cloaks, they're saying, this is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the king that's been prophesied. This is the king of Israel. The people recognize what Jesus is claiming to be. He's the king. But you have to admit that this is not exactly the picture of a king that we would expect. He's riding on, he's riding on a donkey, right? And he's not riding just on a donkey. He's riding on a baby donkey. He's riding on the colt, on the foal of a donkey. This would not have been especially dignified. If this is a, if this is a young donkey, a baby donkey, it may have been that his feet would have still been touching the ground as he would have ridden on this small beast of burden. This is not the type of transportation that would make sense for a king. As Tim Keller notes, He says, no conquering king would ever ride into battle on a colt. Why? Because it was worse than walking. You were more defenseless. You were probably slower. You were more exposed. And he goes on to say, any king that 
rode into battle that way would most certainly be slaughtered. And as Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, that's precisely his plan. That's precisely the plan of this great king. Riding into Jerusalem, intent on being slaughtered. Setting his face to Jerusalem, confident that the cross was waiting for him to be hung on. This was not the sort of king that the people expected. This was not the sort of king that you and I might expect. A king that comes to die and death on a cross, shedding his blood. So seeing this image of Jesus Christ, the king in John chapter 12, what is the way that the people respond? What is the way that the people respond? Well, there are four unique responses to seeing Jesus. And they're all located for us in John chapter 12. If you want to take a look first, you can see that the first response of some of the people is the response of unbelief. Take a look at John chapter 12, beginning at verse 37. I'm going to read a little bit of this for us. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 37. Immediately following this story, we're told of the reaction of some of the people seeing Jesus come into the city of Jerusalem. And this first response here in in the 37th verse is a response of unbelief. John chapter 12, verses 37 and following. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. The first response is a response of unbelief. The people, though they had seen Jesus do many signs, though they had seen him triumphantly riding into Jerusalem, the people nonetheless do not believe him. This is a very common theme throughout the entire book of John, throughout the entire gospel. Here is a section of scripture from John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's exactly what's at play here in John chapter 11. Jesus is coming to his own and his own refused to receive him. A common theme throughout the gospel of John. In the time of Jesus, in the time of Jesus, unbelief was a common response to him. Sure, some would come to the spectacle. Sure, some would even wave palm branches, but believe in him? Not for many in the time of Jesus. This is a common theme today as well. Sure, I'll admit that he is a fine teacher. Sure, I'll admit that he was a good man. But believe in him? Acknowledge that he's my king? Not for me. That is a common response. If you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, I'd love the opportunity to talk with you. I hope that you'll come and find me and speak with me. I want to call you to faith in Jesus Christ. I want to call you not to make the same mistake as some who were in the crowd as Christ came into Jerusalem. Some who looked at him and were willing to witness the spectacle but were unwilling to believe in him. Don't make that same mistake. Believe instead in this humble king. 
The first response is unbelief. The second response that we see in John chapter 12 is timid belief. Timid belief. If you're looking in John chapter 12, you can look along with me to verses 40, um, 42 and 43. Here's John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Timid belief is the second way that people responded. Within his own time, people believed in him, but they were more attracted to the praise of the people, of the Pharisees, of the the glory of man than they were to the glory of God. And so they believed in him, but quietly and timidly, not confessing it openly because they were afraid of what other people would say or what other people would think or of the fact that they might even be sent out of the synagogue of the place of religious power. This is the portion of John chapter 12 where it feels like the text of the scripture is is jumping out and giving me a punch right in the gut. Because if I struggle with anything, it's this. It's timid belief. I'll tell you one story about that. I was at a restaurant in California about a year ago in the summer. I had been speaking at a conference, a youth conference out there, and I was sitting eating with two other pastors. There were, there were specials on appetizers, and so I was interested in the soft pretzels. And I was enjoying my meal well enough when the server came to us and she asked, so what is it that you all do? And one of the other pastors said, well, we're all pastors. And she said, oh, that's so great. We need more pastors to, to just... Tell people to love themselves more. And, and I thought about that and I'm like, <coughs> that was my response, right? I thought that's, that's not the call of a pastor. That's not the gospel message. That's, that's not the gospel that I'm called to minister. But I'll tell you what. I very much just wanted to keep on enjoying my $3 soft pretzels and I very much did not want to engage. And it's because in that moment, I, I wanted the glory of man more than I wanted the glory of God. Thankfully, there was a pastor right across from me who is more faithful than I in that moment. And so he looked at her and with, with a deep love, he said to her, you know what? we actually believe that that people love themselves too much. And so Jesus had to come and had to die to save us from loving ourselves so much and to teach us to love God instead. And I thought, oh man, I wish I had said that. (laughs) I wish that I had been the one to say that. And I was thankful for the witness and testimony of this faithful minister whose name I, I frankly can't even remember now, but who, who wanted the glory that comes from God more than the comfort that would come just from avoiding a, a potentially difficult conversation. And maybe she just wanted a good tip, but she came back about five minutes later and she said, I had never, ever heard that before. That seems right to me. I think about myself too much. I don't think about God enough. Thank you for telling me that. It is uncomfortable for us. 
to publicly own our trust in Jesus Christ, to publicly own that he is our king. It is uncomfortable for us to sometimes say, you know what, it's, it's not simply about loving ourselves. It's not simply about doing nice things. It is about trusting in Jesus the king. Timid belief is easy. But for all of us that struggle with overly timid belief this morning, I need to call all of us to repent of that. We must not value the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. A disciple of Jesus Christ values the glory that comes from God more than any other praise or law that you might be able to receive, more than anything else. Can we this morning repent of our timid belief and own openly and boldly the fact that we belong to Christ, our King? Here's the third response of the people. The third response of the people. The third response is opposition. This comes from the Pharisees. Verse 19 of John chapter 12 says this. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, what's the preacher always looking for? Always looking for gain. He's looking for ways to gain under the sun. And so coming into John chapter 12, emerging out of Ecclesiastes, this is the verse that jumped out at me. Ah, the Pharisees opposing Jesus are finding absolutely no gain in their task of opposing him. And they spoke better than they knew, didn't they? There is no gain in opposing this king, they're saying. Better than they knew. Now, what they were meaning was, you know what? All of our efforts haven't worked. We need to put this one to death, is what the Pharisees are saying. Ah, but what they said, what they said was so much better than they intended or realized. There is no gain in opposing the king. There is no gain to be had in taking your stand against the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so again, If you're here this morning and you don't yet believe in Jesus, if you maybe even oppose him, there is no gain to be found there. There is one place for you and for me to find gain, and it is in the humble king, Jesus Christ, who comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, humble, riding on a donkey, professing the fact that he is the king. When you trust in him, when you believe in him, when you own him as your Lord and your Savior and your King and your God, gain, that's where gain is. There's no gain to be found in opposing him, but there is a measurable gain to be found in believing in him. And that takes us to the final way that people responded to Jesus, honest seeking, honest seeking. Now, if you take a look at John chapter 12, verses 20 and following, we're told, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. 
And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. A few people witnessed the spectacle of Jesus claiming to be king as he comes into Jerusalem. A few people saw that and they said, we want to see him. We earnestly want to speak to him and hear from him. Sir, show us Jesus, is what they say. And so they're taken to Jesus, and he preaches a hard message. I'm going to die. And if you want to follow me, you need to die too. But if you do, if you despise your life in this world and instead trust in me, you will find that where I am in my resurrection, there will you be too. Here's the response that I pray all of us, all of us adopt this morning. We've witnessed the glory of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. So what do we want? I want to see him. I want to know him. I want to hear from him. I want to despise my life in this world and instead trust in Christ and his death. I want to trust in him and therefore know the eternal life that comes from knowing him. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.